Hello and welcome to another episode of the Space Update. Coming up on today's show, we'll be talking all important SLS Hotfire Test, Starship and Virgin Orbit and other space news. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me today is... I'm Mikko, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. And today we have a special guest, Mike, better known as Warhawk. Hello there, my name is Mike, Warhawk on YouTube. I'm all over these channels. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Mike, today. Um, we'll probably just uh, kick it straight off with uh, Starship. Uh, we've got uh, static fire going on, um, either possibly today as we're recording on Monday or later in the week. Um, but more importantly, they've done a static fire last week and they've had to change two engines and they've got static fire planned for 18th to the 20th of this week and then potentially got a TFR for flight to the 18th to the 21st. So... Static fire and flight in the same week. Will it happen? Uh, who knows? But a uh, lot going on with the uh, Starship SN9 at the moment, isn't there? Many, many yeah. things. Yeah, it's been quite active at Boca Chica. I kind of doubt it that we will have a flight this week, but another static fire would be good start. Uh, I'm, I'm with Miko on that. I, I believe static fire for sure first. Um, uh, then possibly a flight this week or next. I just wonder if they've uh, managed to sort that header tank. Obviously, we know it lost uh, pressure and everything. Um, and obviously, SN9 and 10 and a few other versions have already been pre-built. So if there's a, a fault with the header tank, it's already built, installed and everything there. So hopefully they've got a solution to uh, resolve that problem with this next test flight with SN9. I mean, I think they would would have solved it because otherwise... Why would they push it, push the tests? Yeah, um, it was amazing what happened to that header tank. Uh, the vacuum happened so hard in it that it sucked the tank right down. Yeah, yeah, and then we got that uh, awesome, although it was as great as it looked, the green flame, it wasn't good news. As soon as I saw it, yeah, it was just like no. just <laughs> literally burning liquid oxygen. <laughs> but uh, yeah. fascinating to see anyway. So, But uh, looking forward to it. I, I mean, I can imagine do the same flight profile let's say and it's only go to going to go to around about 10 kilometers about 7200 feet or something like that the next flight a bit lower yeah did, did we hear the reasoning on why they lowered it by uh two and a half kilometers i don't know i don't put you guys right on the spot <laughs> 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 no, they mentioned the, the lower lower flight profile, but um, whether they're just going to do a, a more simple hop as such, uh, I don't know. Um, cause when you think about it, it's, it's essentially, it's not that much lower, really, because um, before yep. it was, I think it was 12, 12 kilometres, the previous one. Yes, yeah. 12.5. Yeah, and I think this next one's going to be... Uh, around about nine or ten kilometers or something like that wasn't it something or a bit lower than that but i think i can imagine it'll still be able to do that maneuver because um, yeah. in the 10.5 gear hop or flight if you like it still managed to fall for a good a good minute or two didn't it when it was just it sure through the sky so i imagine that yeah. that lower flight i don't think there'd be too much of an issue they'll just have to probably just fire up the engines a bit sooner to do that landing maneuver hopefully without fail this time. Yeah, I, I do believe we're going to see the exact same flight profile, just a little bit lower at the max altitude. It, it may be permitting, that is the reason why they lowered it as well. Yeah, and the one thing with SN9 is that they are going to use helium 
for header tank pressurization. That's at least that's what Elon tweeted. And maybe that's the part where it failed with the autogenous pressurization system on SN8. Yeah, because uh, I don't, don't believe SN8 had that, uh, the helium. It was just using, um, trying to use the methane. Using uh, the boil off from the tanks themselves is yeah. how they originally did it. Um, the, the helium is a proven system, so they're going to go back to old reliable until they can figure out their new system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because helium's used on quite a few different uh, rockets for pressurization and everything else. But the thing Elon, I don't know if you said it on Twitter, I've heard a few guys mention it, that it adds it adds extra weight because you've got to put a separate uh, tank in it, for instance, and stuff like that. But if you have to do it, you have to do it just to make things ends meet for now until you resolve the solution with the, the other part of the rocket. But uh, I can imagine by SN10, 11, 12, I don't know which one will see it on. It might just jump back to the previous idea with using the boil-off. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I concur. And I think it's strange that they changed two of the engines, um, whether they were too damaged or beyond repair for, for that, but something must have not quite gone right with that static fire. It seems awfully short when you compare them to some of the previous static fires. It does. Yeah. I mean, could it be that they still have problems with some material gravel flying from the ground to the engines and or something like that? Yeah, because it's very, very dusty, uh, well, not atmosphere, but area where they are down at Boca Chica is very dry and dusty. And like you say, just a bit of gravel, it all it takes is to uh, accidentally get stuck in one of the engines or a bit of dust just on a sensor or anything like that. But um, there were some rooms that's when we first saw one of the static fires that we saw a bit of sheet of metal or something flying through the sky and people were saying, oh, the nozzle's blown off one of the engines, but it turned out just to be a, a stray bit of metal that was off the pad or something like that, luckily, but maybe it was off the engine, who knows? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I saw the piece of square-looking debris that flew off to the left of the cat. Yeah, yeah. And uh, more importantly, just moving on to the next subject, SLS, we finally saw that uh, do its static fire or... We did green run finally, finally a bit um, over anticipated. Considering it was only a minute long, but it was a, seemed like a very big build up and then a very quick, quick end. It was a bit of a anti climax, shall I say? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, well, for one minute it looked pretty awesome, but yeah, it ended quite fast. It's, it's nice to know that the RS-25s basically did their job, that uh, it was more of a, I think, a sensor issue or a test stand issue that killed the test, it may, possibly even a procedural issue. But the RS-25s, I think, um, were stars in the show. Yeah, definitely. They said it was um, at the point where the gimbling started to like properly kick in, like a, almost like a test profile. And they think that something with the parameters on one of the, like you say, one of the sensors or the valves just noticed a slight anomaly to the point where it just had to shut down and it just done that automatically. Um, there's a few tweets that I've got information on. I'll just read them out and you guys can uh, let me know what you think on that. But um, they said uh, some of these are from Jim and some of these are from NASA. They said the test uh, shut down shortly after failure ID and MCF major component failure on engine four 
Um, they didn't know yet what caused this, but all four engines were at 109%. Don't know how you get 109 percent out of the engines, but there you go. And they were doing their gimbal test, and there was a variable flash from the insulation blanket on the engine number four. So some sort of uh, spark that made that one fail by the looks of it. Um, it's a bit strange that it said 109 percent power. So I don't know what's what's going on there. Whether the I don't know what they mean by that figure, but there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I watched the press conference afterwards as well and listened to a Jim and the engineer, and uh, I, I, that sounded kind of like uh, what the failure point was. Of course, there was a lot of uh, um, um, pat on the back speaking as well there, and some so some of the problems were overshadowed, and we're, we're used to, uh, like Elon just tells us right straight out what they were, and these were a little vague, but... Uh, you know, I they did they did a pretty good job, I thought. Yeah, and I think they could have waited for a few more hours or even day before they actually released some information because it was obvious they didn't have much information. And Ryan, when you talk about 109% of the engine uh, power, I think uh, the RS25s were designed to run at 100%, but already at, on the subtle age, they did run a bit higher, and now they are running even more higher. Spinal tap, turn it up to 11. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. This one goes to 110. <laughs> RS-25s are the only rocket engine that I've heard in real life. I witnessed a shuttle launch from quite some distance. Nice. Well, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just have to make two of the videos on YouTube of that one. Uh, obviously, it's not flying anymore, so just have to uh, make do with the videos on YouTube and the likes of that. <laughs> um, but more interestingly, yeah. when they were doing that press conference, they hinted at that it might take a few months to delve through all the data and maybe come up with some resolutions, whether they'll just take the booster over to Kennedy Center and just put it on the stack it and potentially do a a proper static fire as such on the launch pad as sorts, or whether they'll put it on the back burner and just do another test in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think they will do another static fire as soon as they see the data. And RS-25 engines need about 21 to 30 days to dry out before they can be refired again. So at least a few weeks and the facility itself needs about five days to refuel the hydrogen and oxygen tanks. Yeah, it's a good look, nugget of information there on those in engines. It just it just in stark contrast to where you have all these Blue Origins B4 engines and the Raptor engines all just, you can restart them up and like the, like the Merlin engines on the uh, Falcon 9 all restartable, um, can be just cleaned up a little bit and then off you go again. But the RS, those RS-25s, just leave them a monster cool off, they'll be all right in a bit. <laughs> it, just seems, it just seems an age away, the two different technologies. It's just a bit of a bit of a strange one, but it's just the, the path that NASA have been pursuing with this rocket and spent so much time on it that it wouldn't be, it just wouldn't make sense to cancel the rocket off. I know a lot of people are thinking it's a waste of money to this, it's that, but it's 
pretty much nigh on built. Um, why would you just scrap it when you just just literally about there kind of thing? Per- personally, um, I, I believe that uh, SLS will be man rated before a Starship, and we're going to need something to fill that gap. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, hopefully 2022. Yeah, I think I think the they should definitely do at least one or at least two more tests because the last thing you want is losing one or two RS25 engines or God forbid all of them, and then you got you can't switch off those solid rocket boosters once they're lit. They're like a candle; they're just going to go and they won't won't stop until they're out of fuel. And the last thing you want is those four RS25 engines just to give up, and then the SLS core booster just to stall at apogee and just the entire thing just to a billion dollar rocket to fall back to earth it just, it'd be the worst probably disaster ever for a well, I, just I, I, they, in general <laughs> they, they've learned from the disasters of course with the shuttle and apollo so um i, I think they understand that uh, time is their friend when it comes to testing do it again and again and again until you get it right yeah That's absolutely right. And I, I do think the RS-25 engines are very reliable. And even though they are not designed to relight in flight, they are still reusable. And I think some of the engines are even 20 years old that they are flying. Yeah, yeah. But it makes you makes you think, like, when you rewind back to the, the shuttle era, um, those RS-25 engines, they were just a good solid workhorse for the, the shuttle and everything but it kind of makes you think like why did they have to do all those tests but then it's a different system it's a different rocket and everything um because seeing a few people on twitter just um not not like official pages but just people chatting around just saying why did they need to test these engines when they've already flown dozens of times on the on the shuttle but essentially the sls is a within reason a brand new rocket albeit some heritage technology and everything from Time's gone by, but um, yeah, regardless of whether it's a new rocket with heritage technology or anything like that, it still needs to be tested and put through its paces, really, I think. Yeah, and they did upgrade the flight computers for the engines. And this, as far as I know, this is the first time they fire multiple engines with the new new computer. So it was about time they can test it. Yes. The thing I loved about about their RS-25 engines is the way they light them up. It's just literally like a massive sparkler in a way, and then it just, just boom, just lights up. That's the the thing I always remember from just watching the the shuttle bits on the online in documentaries and everything like that. Just the just the ignition sequence on that engine is just very unique to that. that Yeah, it's like they use a firework. (laughs) Yeah. And um, just moving on from the mighty SLS to uh, a, a new kid on the block uh, version of it, finally successfully launched their little launcher one rocket off uh, Cosmic Girl, the seven four seven air launched vehicle. This one uh, rocket um, just launched some uh, cubesats of NASA's finally into orbit. Um, very successful launch. One or two little minor glitches with the rocket swaying side to side, a bit of. Uh, pivot and as it was uh, ascending into space but um a very successful launch by the looks of it um from just a, going on from their first launch which we had a few spouts of engines not starting up and everything like that but fingers crossed have nailed those little errors with the uh, the computers and the engines and want to see a lot more from them 
hopefully in the, later in the year. Is it true that they felt it was safe enough that they actually had a paying customer on board that uh, a, a small sat? Yeah, from the get-go. I mean, the first test launch actually had, um, I don't know if it was the same NASA payloads on on the first test launch, but I believe the they managed still managed to recover the rocket. Um, I'm assuming they managed to save save the rocket. It might have had a backup system of a some sort of parachute in there, possibly. Um, I don't know. That's we see very little on the live streams and stuff like that. Um, a select few have access to it, and we get get to see it later on, uh, not shortly after. But um, that first launch and this one actually had little CubeSats and NASA's on there. But uh, quite exciting considering they trust them that much with such a new vehicle. But um, just, uh, NASA are very trusting in a lot of these startup companies by the looks of it. And rightly so, the work, work in the, the arse is off kind of thing, just getting everything sorted. Yeah, I, I remember after the first failed flight, NASA did say that they are comfortable with them flying payloads because the payloads... Uh, were not multi-million uh, or multi-billion dollar payloads. So they actually wanted them to fly them. As uh, I think Virgin Orbit uh, did ask NASA about them, that should they fly or not. And the first flight was, I think it was around 10 seconds that the engine fired after shutting down. And well, yeah, I was quite surprised they made it to orbit and payload separation. Congratulations, Virgin Orbit. Yeah, yeah, congratulations, guys. If anyone's watching there from uh, Virgin Orbit or anyone related to works for this, this uh, rock, uh, launcher rocket and everything. But um, more interestingly, the Newton 4 upper stage ignited for the first time in the vacuum of space and they successfully relayed the engine um, to successfully put that, those payloads into uh, into orbit. So it's... Uh, as well as launching the that, the launcher one rocket for the first time, they've successfully managed to test their Newton upper, four upper stage engine for the first time and relight it in space, um, which they weren't previously being able to do. So to do it, do that first time as well was quite an achievement for such a new rocket as well. For those not familiar with uh, Virgin Orbit, launcher one is the rocket, the orbital rocket that is launched from a modified 747 to go into orbit. It is not the uh, amusement park ride um, Virgin uh, Starship 2 that carries passengers to the edge of space and back. It's two complete different systems. Yeah, yeah totally. It's quite a unique uh, flight profile as well, because obviously it's being uh, dropped from a 747. 47, a bit like you would like a, a cruise missile if you want to com compare it to that. But then it's got, it's although it's got that horizontal trajectory, it's got to scoot itself up and get the ver vertical velocity. Um, so in a way, it's got an advantage because it's already traveling without using any fuel. But at the same time, it's still got to work all that bit harder to get up into space. Um, but in a way, you can take advantage of the 747 turning around, landing back down, pick another rocket up. And so in theory, they could do multiple launches in a day, just strap another rocket. You could have several rockets ready to go. Strip the 747 lands, strap another one on, just take, keep the plane running, take off again, launch another one, and just keep going. So in theory, it's quite a quick turnaround when you think about it. In, in theory, as long as the those rockets are lined up and ready to go, they could 
have a very fast turnaround. The likes of what Rocket Lab and SpaceX, the gearing up of SpaceX, have had uh, over 50 launches in 2020, and they're gearing up for a lot more themselves. So maybe we could see the likes of Virgin Orbit maybe pushing for quite a few launches in one year. Yeah, and their advantage over Rocket Lab, for example, is that they can launch into any inclination and they can probably launch in uh, worse weather conditions because they can actually fly away from the bad weather. And also the, the system, it's designed in a way that, it could, like you say, it can be launched in, from anywhere, but also from any country within reason. Um, permitting governments and everything like that um, but the, the plan is once the system's proven and everything like that they're potentially going to bring it over to the UK and launch it from some of the U- UK space ports that are being developed over here as well yeah, that's that the uh, definitely flexibility is virgin orbits niche in the society in uh, the market I mean yeah for sure and if they launch from the UK well that's something I could actually come and try to spot on the skies. Yeah, definitely. It would be exciting to uh, pop down there. And uh, it just depends where they launch it. If they launch it overseas, we're obviously not going to get too much of a view view of it, but uh, hopefully we will. Um, there's been some videos online of people relaxing on a beach and watching the launch of one rocket take off and everything. So that'd be nice to see just chilling out on the beach, having a few beers, and then just watching the rocket fly off into space. That'd be quite nice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also looks like our predictions on the second small set launcher were a bit off. I remember I was thinking Astra will be the one, uh, the second one on orbit, but turned out to be Virgin Orbit. Yeah, Astra came very close. I believe they were like literally just like like a hair away from the velocity they needed to gain like a steady orbit because they just didn't reach that quite. The, the velocity that they needed for orbit, the, the vehicle eventually just, power of gravity just pulled it back down, essentially. Because obviously you needed to go faster, than, well, essentially fast enough to escape the Earth's gravity within reason and stay in orbit. Otherwise, you're just going to come straight back down. So hopefully Astra can get uh, nailed that in their next launch, which I'm assuming they're doing very soon. And, I mean, later in the year, uh, coming up, we've got so many rockets and new companies. We've got Skyrora. Here, here in the UK, up in Scotland, they're launching hopefully within the next three to four months one of their first rockets, um, suborbital. And then you've got Firefly launching one of their demo first launches in the next month or so. Um, a few, date, few dates for both of those, but nothing confirmed as yet. And then for the likes of the bigger companies, you've got Vulcan, Starship, um, Blue Origins, uh, New Glenn rocket, obviously. Um, but a lot of small rockets and gigantic rockets, moon rockets, if you like, of all <laughs> sizes, coming coming in uh, 2021. Probably probably the biggest year for space since since the Apollo program, essentially. Yeah, yeah I can't wait for Rocket Lab to catch a rocket with a helicopter. Mm, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> to actually catch an orbital rocket with a helicopter. They've already caught a rocket with the helicopter, but they dropped it with another helicopter. <laughs> yeah. And we've got, we've got a few launches coming up later, later in the week. We've got, um, hopefully, uh, SpaceX are going to go for a late eight launch and landing of one of their Falcon 9 boosters. Um, I believe that's going to be a new record set, and set for them. Um, they've already got yeah. two, two or three boosters at seven 
the seven launch and landings, but I think, believe eight, the next magic number. So, so events very soon, I believe some of the boosters will be in double figures, which would be quite staggering because I believe Elon stated that the boosters, once they get to nine or ten launch and landings, that's when the uh, that's when the money really starts tumbling down for them, um, cost per launch. Yeah, and also with this launch, they if they launch uh, tomorrow, as they are supposed to, they will make a new uh, refurbishment time record between flights. It's under 40 days. I think it was 32 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got that many boosters to hand within reason. Um, they could just use a different booster within reason, but... I suppose it's always good to set that record using the same booster for two different and just pushing the limits of what the company can do rather than just using, yeah, we'll just get another rocket game kind of thing, just to prove the fact that we can land this rocket, clean it up if we need to, get it ready and then launch it back off kind of thing. It's quite a quite an achievement to literally prep a reusable rocket in the shop such a short period of time. I mean, um, We've seen Blue Origin's New Shepard, although it's a little vehicle, we've seen very little of that. Um, how quick of a turnaround they're going to do with some of their rockets, who knows? Hopefully just as quick. And some of the other companies coming online, hopefully they can uh, reach reach the heights of uh, what SpaceX are using re- reusability-wise, because uh, SpaceX are definitely the, the leaders in reusable technology at the moment. I agree. Uh, is there any bits you want to add, Warhawk, before we just wrap up? Oh, we... we- uh, the only other rocket launch that we missed was uh, the Blue Origin uh, New Shepard. Uh, oh, yeah, they man. had their, their their test launch went up and uh, was successful. Um, it, it seemed to be the the booster had a little bit of landing trouble, but uh, it it, uh, it hit the mark. I think they have a little bit of work to do there, but uh, a mannequin Skywalker made it down okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there some wind violations before the launch. The rocket on that one, um, and they paused quite a few times just before launch. Uh, it was quite a smooth flight, like we've seen previously. Very slow and steady. Come down, launch, and then just as the rocket came down, you just saw it lean. That lean just before it touched the ground was it. It was actually a good ten or twenty meters away from the landing pad. So it literally just had to tilt, do a little hover, and just land at the edge of the landing pad. Just yeah. to burn off that last little bit of fuel just before it's uh, cut out. Well, quite quite good to see that it's the technology that it recognises that it's not anywhere near the, the launch pad and it can counteract the wind and then then launch. It's quite uh, quite stable that rocket. It's very promising because uh, I'd love to see what how that technology transfers over to the new Glenn rocket. Will it be as stable as the uh, new little new Shepard? So I'd love to see that because obviously. We see the Falcon 9, literally a suicide dive, very rough and ready there, their landings. Still still awesome to see, but New Shepard, it just takes it to that, just that finer bit of level of just more control, more composure, come down kind of thing. So I'd love to see that um, on the new Glen. Yeah, and if you want to hear my opinion about Blue Origins' new, latest New Shepard flight, I did a deep dive about it. Uh, it was released over the weekend. So check that out if you haven't. And I highly recommend it. I've listened to it myself, Miko. It's uh, really, really informative and fantastic. You cover all the bases and everything. So I recommend that to everyone. Uh, make sure you go and listen to Miko's uh, deep, deep dive into that one. 
Um, thanks for joining us again this week, guys. I've been Ryan from the Space Update. And I've been Mick, the host of Deep Dive Fridays. I'm Mike, better known as Warhawk on YouTube. Thanks, guys. And a big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Uh, Warhawk himself right there. Angry Astronaut, Howard Walker, Sammy Oscuro. What about it? Jacqueline and Sebastian, or to the future. Uh, Gaio Pagalari, Framrick, Susie, and Marco. Thank you guys for what we do. And if you would like to support us, like these guys here, uh, in what we do on YouTube and podcasts and everything, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash total space. Where else can they find us, Miko? And we have just released our new website. So please go check that out at totalspace.net. And you can also follow us on Twitter at TotalSpaceNet. Yeah, all, all the guys here at TotalSpace.net are just wonderful to work with, and it's a great group to be a part of. I highly recommend everybody to check it out. Yeah, hashtag TeamSpace. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a great week. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.